Good morning, Steve Dale's Pet World on WGN. An exciting show for you if you have a dog or a cat. Well, that's typically the case, right? So we are going to talk about cat behavior, what you didn't know that you need to know. And uh, we'll also talk about a pain medication for dogs that's always been out there. But now we have some new science, some new information, and it's all good news. Speaking of good news, whenever there's a cat show around, Jeremy Basterash, the show manager of the Lincoln State Cat Club 61st Annual Show. You haven't been doing this 61 years yourself, Jeremy, have you? Oh, give or take a lot. <laughs> no, you haven't. Of course not. So for those who... Here's, here's what just happened. I was at the San Diego Cat Show just outside San Diego in Del Mar, California. And they had like the gate was like the day I was there, over 20,000 people. Isn't that incredible? That's wonderful for a that's cat a show. Fantastic, uh, yeah. That's a fantastic gate to be able to get that yeah. and yeah. really spread the word about all our great breeds to that many people is amazing. Yeah, and it's so fun to go to a cat show for other reasons, which we'll talk about. But uh, a friend of mine, Dr. Mark Goldstein, who has done everything, and I do mean everything in veterinary medicine, he's been on the show several times, has been doing what he's been doing for, I don't know, five or six decades. <laughs> he's, he's done it all. He's never been to a cat show. So I invited him. He went to the cat show. Even he, who knows everything, said, what goes on in a cat show? So what goes on at a cat show? Well, one, it's nothing at all like a dog show. So whatever you have preconceived no notions for cat shows being like dog shows, it's nothing like that. Effectively, there are a series of judges, a panel of judges, if you will, and each judge is going to judge every single cat entered into the show. And this is typically around 200 cats, 200 different cats, mostly purebred, but also household pets. And the judge is going to decide within each of the four categories of cats, we subdivide them out, which cats are the best, which one's the best in show all the way down through, depending on the number of entries, down to 15th best in the show. Uh, for kittens, adults, uh, purebred cats that have been altered, and household pets. Those are our four categories. And how do they make their – so, all right, in in Area 1, Judge Sam, and in Area 2, Judge Judith, Sam and Judith, do they add up all – and the other judges, too, there are others. Do they add up to see who has the best total scores to determine best in show? How do they do that, or is there a separate competition for it? They are each independent judges. They have no coordination with one another. And they make their decisions on best in show on their own interpretation of the standards and how they're seeing the cat on that day. And a standard is basically a, just a written document that specifies what we want to look see in a particular breed, whether it be Persian, Maine Coon, Devon Rex, it defines what the cat should have, and the judge makes a decision for each cat. Is this cat meeting that standard? And if so, how well? Is it 
99% of the way there? Is it 96% of the way there? And it's those percentages, those small differences where the judge decides, okay, this cat, even though it's a different breed, this cat is a better example of that breed than the others. Who ends up being best in show? Well, we don't have, it is something that occurs, we don't have a best in show that will have the for the cats in how they perform in all of the rings. Uh, it does occur, but it, it, it is rather time-consuming and pressure-sensitive, so a lot of shows avoid doing it because of the the mountainous amount of work that it requires. Okay. Let's not do the work. Uh, Lincoln State Cat <laughs> Show have that or no? Uh, no, no. Lincoln State will not have a best-in-show. Oh, no. I'm so sad. No. Yeah, yeah. It's, like I said, it's it's arduous at best. Now, here's the cool thing, another cool thing about the cat shows. So there you are watching the judge, Judge Judith, as I said, and she's judging a, I don't know, a Persian cat. But she is describing what she likes about the cat, maybe what she doesn't like about the cat. The cat hopefully isn't listening because then the cat can say, I'm going to contact my lawyer. You're going to be in big trouble. But the great thing is for dog shows, you have no idea why the judge is thinking however that judge is thinking. Cat show judges tell you, and I kind of like that. Yeah, a, a lot of our judges tend to discuss what they're seeing in each cat that they're reviewing. They don't have to. They're not required to. Uh, but they do tend to talk about each cat, or at least the first cat within a breed. It's saying, for example, you know, this is our Persian. We like to see nice, long, thick coat, well-groomed, nice flat face. So these are the types of descriptions they'll make about the various cat breeds, along with temperament, the type of household that they're best in. You get all sorts of information from these judges. And even with me having started showing cats in 2018, I continue to learn something new at every cat show I attend, even now. And I go to cat shows at least once a month, oftentimes two two times per month. Well, I want to make it clear. I mean, there's nothing... Well, the uh, First of all, a couple things. First of all, something I love about cat shows and also the Cat Fanciers Association, the International Cat Association, is that you outcross, you don't forever breed, I don't know, Devon Rexes solely with Devon Rexes uh, or Persian cats solely with Persian cats. Other breeds are brought in, which benefits the health of the cats. Another thing is you have a predictable temperament. Another thing is you mentioned this, and I want you to talk about it a little bit. If you have a just a mixed breed cat that who knows what that is, a domestic short hair that you adopted from a shelter, theoretically, and I'll tell you why theoretically in a moment, if the cat's temperament is okay to do this, because a lot of cats, you're taking me out of the house? What? I have to go into the carrier? What? <laughs> they're, they're not going to enjoy being at a cat show. But if that cat is one of those cats that doesn't mind all that, could you show that to cat, that domestic short hair cat? Yeah, well, a lot to unpack there, Steve. Yes, I figured, so, yes. <laughs> so, absolutely, you can take your cat 
to the cat show, enter it into the cat show, and and compete against other non-pedigreed cats. So it's a completely level playing field. You will see some non-standard purebred cats. Those are cats that don't meet the standard. You know, perhaps they have uh, ears that didn't fold or a tail that's too long, um, and they compete under the same rules as all of the other mixed-breed cats domestic short hairs, domestic long hairs, and no matter what you have. Temperament is important, and working on socializing your cat is going to be an often a, a good indicator of if your cat will do well in a show hall environment. So if you've ever taken your cat out to the store, to the pet store, um, on a car ride, Cats that are enjoy those activities will probably do quite well in a cat show environment. Interesting. And interesting, you could take any cat. We'll learn how you can do that with your cat. Much more about the cat show, including some interesting breeds that I bet you have never heard of. I'm talking about the Lincoln State Cat Club Cat Show, which is coming up. Of course, we'll tell you when it is and where it is and how you can learn more about it all after this on WGN. Jeremy Basterash is the show chairman of the upcoming Lincoln State Cat Club Cat Show, which will be held just outside Chicago. We'll tell you more about that. It'll be held the weekend of the 25th and the 26th, I believe. And uh, all those details coming up. But first, Jeremy, we were talking about, okay, you just have a household pet. You have a cat that doesn't mind going out and about, which is an important part of this, doesn't mind necessarily being around other cats. And to make it clear, I mean, cats at a cat show, they don't walk around the ring like they do in a dog show, and they are judged individually, so they don't need to interact with other cats, but they do need to be healthy coming in and also need to be tolerable. There's lots of noise at a cat show. There's strange people walking by and all those kind of things. So you definitely need to have a cat who can tolerate all that. If you do, how can people then learn, okay, maybe I want to do this with my cat? So I would encourage anybody who's interested to reach out to Lincoln State Cat Club. That includes me, also our entry clerk, and we can walk people through what needs to be done. It's not much. Um, and you can enter your cat in the cat show. The one thing that, it, that is not allowed is uh, declawed. Uh, so you can't show any declawed cats. Yay. I'm, I'm, all for, I'm all for that rule. Uh, so how do they reach whoever they need to reach, maybe yourself or somebody else? How do they do that? The best way to find us is to go on Facebook and search for the Lincoln State Cat Club. Well, that sounds easy. All right, very good. And then send a personal note or type into the message in Facebook Messenger. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. You'll, there'll be contact information there, email, uh, and and you can just send us a message, and we will walk you through that process. It's very easy, and I guarantee you, if you go to one, you will not stop. <laughs> you will go to your second one. You okay. go to your third. Uh, Showing your cat is incredibly fulfilling for both you and the cat. We've made a number of close friends over our short period of showing cats, my wife and I, 
and we never would have met them and their lifestyles and what they've gone through in their lives had we not started going to cat shows and showing. Hmm. All right. Now, I want to ask you about breeds you might see at a cat show that maybe you've never heard of before. You happen to breed, and the breed I believe you breed is called sometimes the werewolf cat. Oh, that is is correct. Do they make that sound? Uh, No, no, they really don't, uh, unless (laughs) Hollywood gets their hands on them. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, there will be, I have it on good authority, there will be Lycoy cats entered into that show, Lincoln State. It's a fascinating breed. Uh, You have a hairless face. You have uh, no undercoat on this cat, so just the top guard coat. And then you have white hairs, or technically colorless hairs, interdispersed amongst that darker coat. And what you'll see is is this really grizzled look, this almost carrier look. But they're so incredibly soft. They're so playful and delightful. Um, So despite the werewolf connotation being negative, they're very, very sweet soft and gentle creatures. And they like to snuggle, don't they? They love it. Oh, and they, they are goofy. They believe to a T that they are all wonderful athletes. Unfortunately, they lack the body to fulfill those needs. <laughs> so, they are very, very, very funny and just a little unaware of their bulk. All right. Uh, give me the good description. And you can go to the cat show and walk down the aisles and see the various breeds of cat. Uh, but good job at describing the Lykoi, L-Y-K-O-I, cat, which is a fairly new breed. Give us another one more breed we may not have ever heard of before. So uh, another breed that you may not have heard of before are um, the Cornish Rex. This is another cat that, uh, that we breed. Um, this is more or less the polar opposite of the light coin. It has just the undercoat, no guard coat. So they are exceptionally soft. Think of the softest lamb you could touch. It's softer. They kind of feel like um, a chenille sweater, don't they? They really do. And, and they are so people-driven. They will follow you around. Um, they are very smart uh, they will get into things you don't think anything could get into. I was just going to say they're really you need you need child locks if you have this cat. Speaking of children, there are lots of activities for children. I believe coming up at the upcoming cat show as well. That's right. We do have a stuffed animal competition. So if you bring your kid, you do down mean to the show. You do mean plush animal, right? Yes, plush okay. animal. Yes. I just want to make Sorry. that clear. That's okay. <laughs> No taxidermy. No, 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 no. 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 We're, we're talking about stuffed animals, uh, stuffed toys. They can bring in their stuffed animals. doesn't have to be a cat. Uh, and they can bring their stuffed animals in and compete with the other kids. Generally happens around midday, 11, 12 o'clock on each day. And a, a CFA judge actually comes and interacts with the kids <laughs> and picks the best cat. Cool. Amongst the stuffed animals. Very, very nice. Uh, And there are other activities for kids. I know it's a very family-friendly show. Uh, Tell me about the education ring. 
Yeah, so the education ring on both Saturday and Sunday, we have a, a stage and seating in front of it, and we have speakers scheduled throughout each day. Uh, and those speakers are going to talk about various topics from health of the cat to medications to um, how to how to groom your cat. Uh, we also have somebody talking about grooming of your cats. We'll have dozens of vendors at the show as well. Mm-hmm. So if you like to do a little shopping for your pets and for yourself, uh, this is a great place to do it, and they're all going to be very cat or pet focused. Now, Sunday I'm on the radio, but I'll be there Saturday, I think at 11 o'clock. I'll be talking about uh, the Fear Free Initiative. I'll be talking about how you can determine if your cat is hurting, uh, because cats don't generally tell us that, and uh, much more. Uh, We need to know, though, where the cat show is and when it is. Well, one, you're going to be at 1 p.m. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Two, uh, DuPage County Fairgrounds is where we're going to be at this year. This is a new location, gorgeous building, lovely arched wooden beams in there. It's a very, very nice location. Um, And it is on the uh, 25th and 26th of February. Okay. What time? Uh, We are starting each day at 9 a.m., and it runs from 9 to 4 on Saturday and Sunday. And instead of going to a website in this instance, you simply go to Facebook. And what do people look for on Facebook? I'm guessing the Lincoln State Cat Club. That's exactly it. You look for the Lincoln State Cat Club on Facebook. You will find us. And there you can find all of the information you need to attend or even show at the Lincoln State Cat Club 61st Annual Benefit Show. Perfect. Thank you very much, Jeremy Bastarash. Thank you, thank you. And I will see you, I hope at the Lincoln State Cat Club Cat Show. You will. Yes. So how about this scenario? You have a cat, and that cat on Tuesday, you don't think ate anything. You're not sure. And on Wednesday, you don't believe the cat has eaten anything either. Now, if we're talking about a dog, this is not a medical emergency. But Kara Burns, a veterinary technician who specializes in nutrition and also a board member of the Every Cat Health Foundation, will be here next week to explain why that, in fact, is a medical emergency. Oh, oh, she says if you're pretty sure your cat hasn't eaten in 24 hours, that could be a medical emergency? That's right, and she will explain why next week, right here on Steve Dale's Pet World, bright and early. On WGN. She's a specialist. I like knowing specialists. Monique Fairchild is a veterinary technician who specializes, but it's official, in behavior. Actually, explain what that is, because there are veterinary technicians, your colleagues, that specialize in all sorts of different things. You happen to choose behavior. What does that mean? So veterinary technician specialist means that we have extensive continuing education in our area of specialty. We have at least 5,000 hours of clinical experience. We've passed a very rigorous examination that's given uh, through the academy. And there's an academy for every specialty that's available to veterinary technicians. So it's uh, sort of the cream of the crop, if you will. It's a a big deal to earn your specialty in any given uh, area of interest. Yeah, and you speak at veterinary conferences like the one we're at right now in Florida, a VMX veterinary conference, a part of the North American veterinary community. Uh, And you spoke about 
fear-free handling. What is fear-free? So fear-free is an educational program for pet professionals, veterinary professionals, groomers, pet sitters. They have a shelter program. Dog trainers. Dog trainers, absolutely. And it it is an educational program that's available that prioritizes protecting the emotional welfare of animals while we work with them in all of these various ways. It was begun... Uh, at the very beginning, Dr. Marty Becker began this uh, to deal with uh, dogs and cats visiting the veterinary clinic so they wouldn't suffer, suffer is the right word, I think, from fear, anxiety, or stress that very often they feel, I would argue, sometimes actually feel like they're going to die quite literally. And I think very important for dogs, I would argue even more so for cats. Completely agree. You know, cats, I think that we... We don't pay as much attention to them emotionally as we do with dogs. Uh, people sometimes have the conception that, like, we are there to serve the cats, but cats have the, they, they have a different emotional range than dogs. And cats have a really robust range of emotions, and they are just as capable of experiencing fear, anxiety, and stress. And they oftentimes leave the home less. They go for fewer car rides. And almost always it ends up in a place that's not great from the perspective of the cat. Yeah. So we really need to pay attention to that for them. They deserve great care, too, and they deserve us to care about their emotional welfare. Cats are most comfortable in their own territory. They're kind of control freaks, too. So if they feel that, in my opinion, and so if they feel they're not in control, that is terrifying, more than scary. To most cats. Absolutely. And if they aren't in their territory and they are presented with something that's scary, like strangers trying to examine you or approach you with needles, their first reaction is usually going to be to back off and find some place to hide. But here they are on the exam table and they aren't allowed to get away. And they can really manifest their stress by being defensive about that. Okay, so this is not exactly what we plan to talk about, but that's okay. There aren't many better people to talk about it than you. So that cat that historically... Uh, people have said, oh, my cat is being bad at the veterinary clinic. Veterinary professionals have called those cats fractious. I guess that's a term that's appropriate. However, I'd argue that's not quite, either one is not the right way to look at it. They're just afraid. They're just trying to protect themselves, you know, and we as veterinary professionals have the opportunity to show them that they don't need to defend themselves from the things that we're doing by modifying how we set up the environment, modifying the way that we interact with these animals and the judicious use of things like medicine to help them calm down before their visit to make it better for everyone. It's okay to take care of the whole cat and not just their physical welfare. And that's what Fear Free is about, is bringing that sort of pet owner loving touch to the veterinary hospital as well. And there's a great website called fearfreehappyhomes.com and has all sorts of information about the emotional well-being and behavior. And the great thing about that website is stories. So you go to a website, any website, and what's there? You don't know the quality necessarily unless it ends in .edu or some such thing. You don't necessarily know. The thing about this website is that stories that even you, clearly an expert, might write, it is then reviewed by an editor who knows about companion animals and then reviewed again by either a veterinary behaviorist or actually one of your colleagues, a veterinary technician, who truly in the case I'm thinking of, wrote a book about the very topic regarding behavior. So it's, it's kind of like a peer-reviewed journal for all of you, for the public. 
Absolutely. Fear Free Happy Homes is an excellent resource, and everything that is there is professionally vetted to the highest level of quality control. You can trust the information that you get there, and it's free for everyone and always will be. Oh, I like that word, free. All right, so let's talk about fear, anxiety, and stress that some cats feel in the home. I would argue one of the most common complaints that I hear about, I I don't know about you, but I hear about, is the cat's just in the wrong places at the wrong time. It's up on the counter, it's on my dresser, it's on the bookshelf, knocking books off the bookshelf, having a good time doing it, but you're not having a good time watching it. So how do we dissuade cats from going to these places we don't want them to go? Well, I'm a behavior person, so I tend to always go to what do I want the pet to do mm-hmm. instead of how do I want to stop a specific behavior. Any behavior stop, that Stop, I- stop. Because what you just said, I want you to repeat because it's brilliant and it's, it's what we want the animal to do and encourage what they're doing right. And if they're doing that then they probably aren't going to be doing what we don't want them to do anyway, right? Absolutely. You know, one of the best ways that I've heard this described is turning don't into do. You know, I want to think about what is it that I want the animal to do rather than what's the behavior I want to squish Mm -hmm. or get rid of. Because when we're trying to get rid of behaviors, that feels bad to everybody involved. If we're trying to obtain behaviors, if I'm trying to get you to do something I want you to do, that feels great to everybody. Mm -hmm. And I would like to have that type of relationship with the animals that are in my home and the animals that are in my care. Anytime I see a behavior, it's serving a function. They're doing it for a reason. Can I figure out what is it that the cat's getting out of this? Is it physical exercise? Is it social interaction? Is it getting to chase something? Is it getting to eat something off the kitchen counter? What is it that they're getting? And can I meet that need in a location that is a legal location? in my premises. <laughs> oh, meet or exceed that need, actually, right? Completely agree. And, and find somewhere else where the cat... So what you're saying is if the cat's over there, you provide something else over there that is more interesting for the cat. Absolutely. Or equally interesting, but in a better spot. You know, yeah. if my cat really likes chicken and we're making chicken, I'm probably going to make sure there's chicken treats over on the cat tree or up on the cat playground before I make my chicken sandwich in the kitchen. Do you think there should be a vertical place in every room, ideally... Uh, maybe not a bathroom, but every place ideally for the cat, specifically for the cat. It's so funny you said that because my cat loves, we have a shelf in the bathroom for the cat. That's one <laughs> of, of his favorite ones. Of course you do. But, yes, cats need vertical places to go. Cats yeah. like to go up. They need to be able to be up and we need to provide some place that is an okay spot for a cat that's high up everywhere it's feasible within the home. Well, Monique Fairchild, it's always, always great to talk to you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Back with you, Steve Dale's Pet World on WGN. By the way, you can find me, if you're looking for me, on my website, and that's stevedale.tv. You can sign up for my newsletter as well, which I write about every two weeks, so about twice a month or so. And if you're on TikTok, check it out. Our kitten has a TikTok page, Groucho (laughs) underscore the funny cat. On TikTok, Groucho underscore the funny cat. We were talking about dog bites a bit last week on the show. And you know what? All primates hug. We do. It doesn't matter whether we're talking the Japanese snow monkeys. You've seen pictures of them, right? In the water that is, the air is so cold and the water is steaming all around them and they're hugging each other. Or whether we're talking about gorillas or chimpanzees or orangutans. Bonobos, oh, they hug and they do much more than that. Human beings hug, but dogs really don't. So sometimes dog bites occur because we're not 
paying attention to what the dog is saying. Most often, the dog may be painful. There are so many examples of little kids going up to dogs, and little kids are most often to get bitten in the face because they're at the dog level, and they go up and hug the dog, and they're not aware that the dog is saying, I have an ear infection or some such thing. We need to pay attention to that. Dr. Rick Marinson is here to talk about, ouch, painful dogs. And it turns out that a percent of dogs, a significant percent, do suffer from arthritis. And it's not only those big dogs that we kind of know, Newfoundlands, yeah, probably they're going to have it if they live long enough. But it's also a whole long list of dogs that include small dogs. That's right. For every breed of dog you want to name, I can give you their list of issues they're going to have. <laughs> and many of them have orthopedics. The giant breeds we know about, the German Shepherds, the Retrievers, etc. But small dogs, the toy breeds suffer from knee problems that often end up becoming an arthritis issue. And in part, I think, you tell me if it might be true, I'm just guessing, uh, because they tend to jump a lot when they're young. On and off things all the time, on and off the furniture, on and off the bed, does that help to support the notion that they're going to have this later in life? Well, life is full of wear and tear, but more commonly what we see are predisposing factors, usually inherited or congenital issues. So for the toy breeds, it's their kneecaps. They pop in and out of place, and that constant movement of those bones in an abnormal fashion is what will eventually become an arthritic disease. Luxating patella is what Immediately you're Immediately luxating patellas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So... What can we do about it? So for a long time, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, that's good to help alleviate pain, but it doesn't really prevent anything. It doesn't support the progression of arthritis not happening. So there is a product that can be a preventive, isn't there? That's right. So so much of veterinary medicine is about prevention, right? We vaccinate. We put them on parasite preventatives. Anything that we can do to prevent a disease is preferable to waiting and being reactive to the disease. And when it comes to arthritis, we know that we need to start having a conversation with owners early, like literally as puppies for those predisposed breeds, and educate them on what we can do to not just treat arthritis, but literally try to push it off into later life, try to prevent it as much as we possibly can. Are there some things we could do? I want to talk about uh, medications in a moment, but are there some things we could do as far as lifestyle? Uh, I talked about uh, the, the, the dogs that look like little jumping beans, and we support that because we want those little dogs in our lap, you know? Does that make a difference? Does running, I don't know, five miles with a Labrador make a difference. A big dog like that, that's a lot of running and wear and tear on the joints, I suspect, as opposed to swimming. That's a great point, but try to tell a Labrador to not run. I mean, yes. No, no, I'm not saying saying that labs should not run, but maybe not races with people. It's actually a a great question, and I always have to balance that with, well, what's the quality of life, right? If you have an exuberant breed of dog, let them be exuberant. It's fun, right? Uh I mean, we're all going to break down at some point. So, Why does he look at me when he says that? I don't know. So so instead of, you know, trying to limit that activity out of that paranoia, you've got some much better choices on how we can prevent problems down the line. Mm -hmm. And some of them may be? Uh, my favorite right now is Adequin Canine. This is a medication that's called a disease-modifying osteoarthritis drug, or a D-mode. It is the only one approved by the FDA that can actually treat the symptoms of, of the, stop the process, really, of the arthritis, not just treat the pain. So what about uh, nutraceuticals that are out there that are supposed to do 
that same thing. Some of them, I'd argue, do have some validity, perhaps. Some of them, maybe not so much. I would agree with that, too. Supplement world is kind of sketchy because it's not a well-regulated industry. But I do think there are some places for that. So we like to think of, of this treatment as almost like a pyramid. We've got the base level where you might do supplements. Then you can move up into medications like adequine canine that are going to start preventing arthritis in those joints. Then as you go up the scale of pathology, now you get into the NSAIDs. You get into the extra pain-killing medications mm-hmm. because... First or second most common reason is that I have to euthanize large breed dogs in old age, arthritis. It's really? that serious, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, because it impacts the quality of life for the dog. Huge. And but I'd argue, but, but I was just going to say that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And therefore the human-animal bond. It's, it's, it's so big. It's yeah. so big. Yeah. And once that fractures... It's heartbreaking, right? Yeah. And yeah. yet we keep putting ourselves through it over and over. So I keep thinking that the balance of, of pet ownership must be worth it because oftentimes we do it for generations of pets in our homes. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Now we have more pets than we have children yeah. in, well, in America by far. Yeah, absolutely. And they are our children for many people. Mine too. All right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's go back. Adequine canine. You you kind of told us what it is. What does it do? So it's designed to help to lubricate the joints. It helps to restore the cartilage and helps to build the rebuild the building blocks of cartilage. Arthritis happens when the cartilaginous parts of the joint, the, the lining of the joint, breaks down to eventually where you've got bone rubbing against bone. And that becomes an inflammatory condition. If we can keep that cartilage intact longer, keep that joint lubricated, arthritis is going to develop much more slowly. And that's the idea with a medication like adequate canine is it is specifically designed to treat the process of arthritis. And it's an injectable? It is an injectable medication, which for some people might seem like an impediment, but we can sometimes, veterinarians get really creative sometimes in how we can make this work within a home. And so my thing would be if you think you have a dog with a predisposed problem towards arthritis, See your local veterinarian. They're going to be your expert. And have the conversation. Ask the questions. And, and if your veterinarian is being proactive, they'll recognize if you have a breed that's predisposed to, predisposed to doing this, and, and hopefully they'll bring it up to you as well. You know, in some ways, this is better than a pill. I mean, cats are famously impossible to pill. But some dogs can be very difficult to pill as well. That's one thing. But the second thing that I'm sure you have far more experience in is the owner the compliance. The owner forgets to give the pill, doesn't give it anywhere near the schedule if they do give it, or the pet spits it out and nobody knows it. It, it is always a challenge. And so a medication that can't be vomited, can't be spit out, <laughs> yeah. you know, can't be, it's hard for them to oppose that. And a lot of people get nervous about the idea of an injection, but dogs don't seem to care about needles like I care about needles. And so it really becomes Well, if a, you have a fear-free way of doing things. Uh, thank yes. you for that. That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Great so way to explain, say okay, explain what I mean by that. So in, in a fear-free situation, we're going to treat these animals in a way that makes sense to them. Instead mm-hmm. of the way that makes sense to me. Well put. Right. Yeah. And that's the way I look at it. Yeah. No, I love the way you said that. And also, what we mean is the dog is on one end getting a treat or some other distraction and truly has no idea that this injection is going, which takes what, three seconds of that? It, yes. Yeah. It goes right, right into on. the dog. Yeah. So thank you so much, Dr. Marinson. Great information. Adequine canine is what we're talking about. And thank you. And thank you for calling attention to this for me. So what kind of dog do you have? If you don't have at least one dog, you happen to be in the minority these days. As a result of the pandemic, more than half of U.S. families share their life today 
with at least one dog. And so many people went to the local shelter, adopted a dog, and then found out maybe later that their insurance, their homeowner's insurance, doesn't cover that particular presumed breed. I'll tell you why I say presumed breed in a moment. And they only find that out when there's need to make a claim. So you adopt a dog, and the first thing you do maybe is to get pet food, tell friends or family. The first thing you do is not to call your insurance company and say, do you accept that breed? And by then, anyway, you've adopted the dog. It's too late if they say, no, we don't. And why would they say, no, we don't in the first place? Now, I must say, a couple of insurance companies don't much care, including State Farm Insurance. Hooray for them. But most insurance companies say, and here's the weird thing about it. First of all, I say presumed breed because we're often talking about pit bulls or dogs that look like that. You know, broad shoulders, blocky head. Those dogs almost always, I mean, almost like 99% of the time or some such thing are just mixed breed dogs. So I don't even know what that means in the first place because that mix is always different. They just come out looking more or less the same, but more or less. That's why there's so much variation among dogs we call pit bulls, for one thing. For another thing, here's another thing the insurance companies do. If you live in, say, Illinois, you can have an Akita. But cross the state line with insurance company X, suddenly you can't. So you're bringing the Akita, say, to your mom's house in Indiana, and now if something happens that dog is not covered because that same insurance company says, okay, that dog is okay in Illinois, but not so much in Indiana. So that makes no sense either. Well, Illinois has been working to do something about that by creating laws that saying you can't discriminate against breed because that's all it is. And we'll talk more about that next week or the week after right here on WGN.